Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Avita. But first, how are we doing? Hello to you. I hope this episode finds you well, of course. Hello to you, Patty. Hello to you, Benny, in the booth. Thank you so much for your work, as always. Oh, I'm feeling grateful. I'm feeling thankful. Maybe that's because we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And you know what I'm thankful for? Oh, you know what my favorite dish is at a Thanksgiving dinner, Patty? Benny, do you know what my favorite dish is at a Thanksgiving dinner? You're both shaking your heads in ignorance. Well, I'll tell you right now. I love a cream pie. I love a cream pie. I love a cream pie, I do say. Yes, this opening is all about... Cream pies, cream pie cuties, I must say. This opening segment is all about boys, boys, boys. Oh, how we love boys here at The Musical Man. And I'm going to be talking about some cream pie cuties. Honorary members, new members to the Cream Pie Cutie Club. I'm acting like this is something we've talked about before. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you may have missed the one or two tweets that I've written in regards to the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Cutie boys, cutie cream pie boys from the world of musical theater. And I want to tell you about the freshman class. That's the term I want to use. I said honorary members. I said new members. Let's use the term freshman class. It's hotter. (laughs) Oh boy, I'm really coming off great in this opening segment. Oh, now you're both nodding your heads. Big thumbs up. Okay, good. I'm glad you're supporting me with this segment. Okay, so freshman class of the Cream Pie Cutie Club, as selected by me, Isaac Cole Powell, you're a cream pie cutie. Ah! Hector Rivera, you're a cream pie cutie too. Ben Platt, yum, 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 cream pie cutie. Tellily Young, yum, 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 yum. Gimme, 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 a man after midnight. Cream pie cutie. Jelani Aladdin, yes, cream pie cutie. Devin Elaw, Sam Tutty, you're all cream pie cuties in my book. And then we have some suggestions, yes, 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 from listener Jen Lin-Manuel Miranda, who actually, absolutely, not just actually, there's no need to qualify. He makes my shorts soggy is what he does. He makes me short. Soggy is what he does. Oh, yes. Jeremy Jordan, of course. Yes, sit on my face. And Aaron Tavet, not necessarily my cup of tea. Is it Aaron Tavit? I apologize for the mispronunciation of the last name. If that, yeah, if that happened, Aaron, oh, no, no. I don't want to offend you just because you're not my personal cup of tea, but you are in the Cream Pie Cutie Club because Jen deemed it so. Oh, I'm all over the map. You know why? It's because I'm flush thinking about boy boys. This segment is off the rails, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I plan for it to be this ridiculous. Yes, that's true. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. Let's talk about the show facts. Show me the show facts regarding this week's subject. Avita! Ava! 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 Hi, how you doing? (laughs) Avita originally premiered at London's Prince Edward Theatre on June 21st, 1978, where it ran for 3,176 performances. This production was preceded by the 1976 release of a two-record concept album, an approach writers Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber took when developing their second musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. Ultimately, Avita went on to become the 19. 
1980 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on September 25th, 1979 at the Broadway Theater and ran for 1,567 performances. The book was written by Tim Rice. It is presumably inspired by the 1952 Mary Main biography, The Woman with the Whip, though no one source has been officially credited. The music is by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and the lyrics are by Tim Weiss. That's true. Webber initially turned down Evita, that is also true, opting instead to write Jeeves with Alan Ackborn. Jeeves closed within a month, causing Webber to experience a change of heart. Oh, I, ring, 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 are you still working on Evita? The director of the original Broadway production of Evita was none other than Harold Prince. How Prince, rest in power. Musical director Renee Weigert, choreographer Larry Fuller, scenic design by Timothy O'Brien and Tazina Firth, lighting design David Hersey, sound design Abe Jacob, costume design Timothy O'Brien and Tazina Firth, and the original Broadway cast included Bob Gunton, Patti Lapone, Mandy Patinkin, Jane Oringer, and Mark Sayers, as well as 41 cast members who are listed on the IBDB, the Internet Broadway Database, as having either played a child or person of Argentina. Now, six women served as the alternate for Ava Perone over the course of the Broadway Broadway One. <laughs> Those individuals were as follows. Terry Klausner, Pamela Blake, Darren Alte, Lonnie Ackerman, Florence Lacey, and, call back to last week, Urine Town's Nancy Opal. Yes, yes, yes. Elaine Page, who originated the role of Ava in London, was told she would be cast on Broadway, but the Actors' Equity Association Association rejected the idea of hiring a non-American. Pretty authoritative, pretty pretty stubborn until you realize how easily they caved when it came to the casting of Miss Saigon in 1991. It was rumored that Hal Prince approached the association a second time about casting Elaine Page when Lapone began to experience vocal issues, but Lapone has stated this is not true. She has, however, described her experience with Evita thusly, quote, Avita was the worst experience of my life. I was screaming my way through a part that could only have been written by a man who hates women. And I had no support from the producers who wanted a star performance on stage, but treated me as an unknown backstage. It was like Beirut, and I fought like a banshee. Quote, Tony nods, let's talk about them. The original Broadway production of Avita won Best Musical, of course. Avita was also the first British musical to win this Tony Award. Ah, show me the show facts. It also won Best Book of a Musical, Tim Rice, Best Original Score, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, Best Actress in a Musical, Patti Lapone, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Mandy Patinkin, Best Lighting Design, David Hersey, and Best Direction of a Musical, Harold Prince. It was additionally nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Bob Gunton, Best Scenic Design, Timothy O'Brien and Tazina Firth, Best Costume Design, Timothy O'Brien and Tazina Firth, and Best Choreography, Larry Fuller. So in total, 11 nominations, 7 awards at the end of the night. Unlike last week, when I was able to pull the plot of Urinetown straight out of me head, I absolutely relied on Wikipedia when putting together this week's plot summary. I've always had trouble remembering what happens in Evita, which says a lot when you consider I have seen the movie and listened to the cast albums several times, given enough time... <laughs> Everything I'm about to describe turns into mush in my brain. I'm just being honest with you. But let's really, let's talk about that plot, shall we? Come on, let's talk about it. I'm begging for it. I'm begging for it, baby. Our story begins on July 26th, 1952, in a smoky Buenos Aires movie theater. The film is suddenly interrupted so that news of First Lady Eva Perón's death may be delivered, an announcement that devastates the people of Argentina. The only one who wasn't moved to tears is is Che, an average man who serves as our narrator and was never a fan of the First Lady. He transports us back to 1934 so that we may trace her astonishing trajectory. Eva Duarte is 15 years old in 1934 and chopping at the bit to get out of her hometown of Hunin. She aligns herself with a tango singer named Augustin Magaldi and begs him to take her to Buenos Aires. Upon their arrival, Eva dumps Magaldi so that she may 
pursue a career in show business. Che watches from afar as she sleeps with a series of men, using their influence to break into modeling, acting, and radio. A parallel is drawn between Ava's pursuit of fame and the political ambitions of one Colonel Juan Domingo Perón, who takes advantage of the Argentine coup of 1943 to gain power over his less crafty peers. Ava and Perón, taking no prisoners, sparing no one. Will their paths cross at some point? Yes, yes, yes. When Perón organizes a charity concert to help those affected by a San Juan earthquake, he meets and quickly falls for Ava after speaking to the crowd. Ava, knowing an opportunity when she sees it, tells Perón that she would be good for his career. I would be so good for your career. When Perón's mistress tries to intervene, Ava sends her packing. Ava knows what she wants. She knows how to butter her bread. She's gonna get that bread. Oh, I uh, should also say that while at the charity concert, Ava runs into Magaldi, the tango singer, if you'll recall, and it is awkward. We never see Magaldi again. <laughs> Ava and Perón move in together and officially become a power couple, though Ava is met with disdain when introduced to the upper crust and military brass. Perón launches a presidential bid in 1946, and with his chances of winning in doubt, Ava organizes a series of rallies for the descamisados, or shirtless ones. She vows to the people that Perón is the only candidate who can lead them to a brighter day. Meanwhile, Perón and his associates strategically intimidate and otherwise rub out those who would prevent his being elected. These are both effective and valid ways of winning an election. The marriage of Ava and Perón occurs between Acts 1 and 2, so I suppose we're meant to view that as a foregone conclusion and not worthy of dramatization. Act 2 opens with Perón having won the presidency through hook and by crook, if you'll recall. On the night of his victory, Ava appears on the balcony of the Casa Rosada, which serves as the executive mansion and office of the president of Argentina. Thank you, Wikipedia! She vows to serve the people of Argentina with every ounce of her strength, and the crowd responds by chanting her name, Ava! 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 Che watches from afar as Ava and Perón dance at their inaugural ball. The First Lady of Argentina soon embarks on a rainbow tour of European nations, one that preaches the values of Peronism, which is Juan Domingo's political movement that he is spearheading while in office, and establishes the goodwill of Argentina. That's the second goal of the rainbow tour, establishing the goodwill of Argentina. Ava is determined to make a good impression, demanding that she be decked out in only the best attire and finery. Spain welcomes her with open arms, while Italy draws a clear connection between her husband and Benito Mussolini. England, for its part, shuttles her off to a country estate in lieu of inviting her to Buckingham Palace. This proves to be the final straw for Ava, inspiring her to reject high society and focus on charity work. She opens the Ava Perón Foundation in 1940 though Che is quick to wonder if it is merely a front for money laundering. While mingling with her people and receiving the sacrament at a local church, Ava faints and enters a dream state. Ooh. It is there that she meets Che, and they are able to present their conflicting views on the state of Argentina. Ava believes she and Perón have done nothing but good for their nation, while Che asserts that her obsession with fame takes precedence over all else. He believes Perón is little more than a dime store dictator, having plundered the Argentine treasury and violently silenced all those who oppose him. Ava sighs and admits that there is little she can do, for she is dying. Upon coming out of her dream state, Ava becomes fixated on the idea of running for the vice presidency. This concerns Perón, who has already been told by the military that his wife has become too invested in politics for her own good. He warns Ava that her decision to run might accelerate her sickness and, you know, result in another military coup. Ava is unmoved and denounces her candidacy in 1951 until her cancer actually does begin to overtake her, at which point she's like, okay, I'm cool. She delivers a final address to the people via radio and dies shortly thereafter. Che informs us that while a monument meant to honor Ava was partially built, construction came to a halt when her body vanished for several 17 years. This is literally the last thing we are told before the show comes to a close, and I wasn't sure what it was meant to imply. Are we saying someone snatched up her embalmed corpse? That she faked her own death? 
What you have to understand is that Evita is a loose interpretation of history, and many have objected to the way it portrays Ava and Peron. Some historians were like, come on, Ava wasn't this bad, while others were like, well, she was actually worse. Che is a completely fictional creation, and there's been quite a bit of debate as to whether or not he's meant to evoke Che Guevara. It seems fairly obvious that the character is meant to evoke Guevara, but only in a sly sort of way. His name is never actually uttered throughout the show, if I'm recalling that correctly. For the sake of comparing Evita to the history on which it is based, here are some factoids and tidbits regarding its real-world subjects. Ava caught the acting bug upon appearing in the school play Arriba Estudiantes, meaning students arise. One of her biographers described this play as, quote, an emotional, patriotic, flag-waving melodrama, quote, how Ava made her way to Buenos Aires is unclear. There are those who think she traveled to the city with an older musician, sure, though her biographers question whether that musician was Augustin Magaldi. Ava's sisters maintain that their mother simply took her to Buenos Aires and arranged for her to live with another family. Ava's acting credits include the stage play Mrs. Perez, a radio drama known as Muy Bien, a radio historical drama called Great Women of History, for which Ava played Elizabeth I, Sarah Barnhart, and Alexandra Fyodorovna, yes, yes, and the film The Circus Cavalcade. Beyond overseeing the Ava Peron Foundation, Ava also ran the Ministries of Labor and Health and was an advocate for labor rights and women's suffrage. She founded the nation's first female political party, known as the Women's Peronist Party, and was granted the title of Spiritual Leader of the Nation shortly before her death. When Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner became the first directly elected female president of Argentina in 2007, she stated that the women of her generation owed Eva a great debt for, quote, her example of passion and combativeness, quote. According to some sources, Eva had no reference for politics before meeting Perón and never argued with him or his associates. Perón's own memoirs make it clear he saw Eva as a pupil and that he wanted to mold her into a, quote, second I. That's the capital letter I. He wanted to turn her into a second I. Not at all creepy. Did I mention Peron was 45 and Ava was 24 when they met? Oh, heterosexuality is insane. In the mid-1940s, Ava was elected president of the Union for Broadcast Performers, the only union that was allowed to exist under the Argentinian government. Ava used her position to produce the radio soap opera Toward a Better Future, which served as thinly veiled propaganda for Peron. During the rainbow tour, Ava actually canceled her visit to England upon learning King George VI would not receive her. Switzerland proved to be the worst leg of the tour as citizens threw rocks and tomatoes at her. The credibility of the Eva Peron Foundation is a definite point of contention. There are those who believe it was used to funnel money into Swiss accounts maintained by the Perons, which is mentioned by Che in the musical. Others reject this accusation, pointing out how the foundation established scholarships, distributed goods, and built new homes. Were private businesses pressured to donate to the foundation lest they face backlash? Yes. Were several new taxes introduced to support the foundation? Yes. Uh, look, it's complicated. It's complicated. In regards to her illness, Ava was officially diagnosed with cervical cancer, though her initial surgery was publicized as an appendectomy. A secret and, for the time, radical hysterectomy was performed by American surgeon George T. Pack, and Ava went on to become the first Argentinian to receive chemotherapy. A Yale neurosurgeon theorized in 2011 that she may have also received a prefrontal lobotomy to relieve her pain. This is based on a study of her x-rays. Now, the story surrounding the disappearance of Ava's body, which we discussed in our plot summary, that story is... It's wild. The memorial that was to be built in her honor would have depicted an anonymous male member of the Descamisados. That statue was said to be larger than the Statue of Liberty. Long story short, her body was on display in her old office 
for two years, embalmed in her old office for two years while the pedestal was being built, the memorial's pedestal, I should say, but a coup in 1955 known as the Revolution Libertatora forced Perón to flee the country, and he was unable to secure the corpse of his wife while on his way out. The new military dictatorship forbid the political movement Peronism, the possession of photos of Eva or Perón, and made it illegal to even utter their names. Sixteen years later, the military revealed that Eva's body had been buried in a crypt in Milan, Italy, under the name Maria Maggie. Perón had the body transported to his new home in Spain in 1971, where it was kept in his dining room. Pass the ketchup, will you, darling? Thank you so much. Perón and his third wife, Isabel, eventually returned to Argentina, where he was elected to the presidency for a third time. Isabel was elected to the vice presidency and became the first female president in the Western Hemisphere once Perón died and she succeeded him. Isabel then had Eva's body transported back to Argentina so it could be displayed next to the body of Perón, and the pair were ultimately buried in a family tomb in Buenos Aires. But here's where Wikipedia throws me for a loop. A leftist urban guerrilla group known as the Montaneros avenged the robbing of Eva's corpse by stealing the body of General Pedro Eugenio Ottomburu, a major figure from the military coup of the 1950s who had been killed by the Montaneros. The possession of Aramburu was used to ensure Ava's body would be transported from Spain to Argentina, I think. But who were they pressuring? That's what confuses me. Were they, were they pressuring Isabel, the first female president in the Western Hemisphere? In any case, once Ava's body was secured, Aramburu's body was literally dumped on a street in Buenos Aires. The tomb in which Ava and Perón are buried is said to be capable of withstanding a nuclear attack, and the security of the corpses is tied to a myth that Ava might return if her body is desecrated or goes missing again. Did I say long story short about 10 minutes ago? <laughs> Look, I told you, the story is wild. It's wild, baby. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1976 concept album that stars Julie Covington as Ava, Paul Jones as Perone, and Colm Wilkinson as Che, and I also listened to the 1979 original Broadway cast album. I've always assumed the sound of Evita remained fairly consistent from recording to recording, so imagine my surprise when I sat down with the 76 concept album and found it to be decidedly sweatier, stranger, and a lot more fun than its polished Broadway counterpart. The concept album has a feverish, trippy quality that makes the show feel playful and alive, and I would highly recommend it for those who are only familiar with the later recordings. You know what it is, that concept album? It's disco, baby, disco! I also watched the 1980 Tony Awards performance of A New Argentina, when Lapone, okay, so there's a, there's a point in this performance when Lapone delivers the following line. The line is, will you'll be handed power on a plate. I don't know why I'm coming up with my own melody. <laughs> But she's talking about how, oh, how we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get you the presidency, my dear husband. We're gonna get you that presidency. And she says, will you'll be handed power on a plate. She corrects herself. It gets a big, big laugh from the Tony's audience. Evita is a largely humorless show. It's wry, but it's never outright comedic. So it doesn't surprise me that audiences would be looking for some relief from the drama. Still, you'd think Lapone was in a Noel Coward play the way they react. <laughs> she nearly gave herself away, she did. <laughs> there is exactly zero chance some of the performers in this Tony performance performance, Tony's performance, are not rocking bronzer. I'm less than 50 shows into this podcasting journey of ours, and I can already feel myself going numb in the face of Broadway's super casual racism. Okay, everybody, line up. We have Adobe Clay bronzer for everyone. You get bronzer. You get bronzer. Well, we'll all look Argentinian. Oh, we're Argentinos, I do say. Oh, the magic of the theater. <laughs> I did not opt to rewatch the 1996 film adaptation of Evita, which was directed by Alan Parker and starred Madonna, Antonio Banderas, and Jonathan Price, speaking of Miss Saigon, as I borrowed it from the library back in January of this year. Would I watch it again? Sure, why the hell not? It's dry, but reasonably well shot. 
I'm more interested in the film that was developed by Ken Russell in the early 80s, but never actually made. Carla DeVito, Barbara Streisand, and Liza Minnelli were considered for the role of Ava for the purposes of this film, while Barry Gibb and Elton John were floated for Che. I guess just about anyone can play an Argentinian, according to the British. We're all Argentinos! Come on already! Anyone can play anyone. Russell abandoned his film upon discovering producers wanted Elaine Page from the original London cast to play Ava. It kills me how Elaine Page was always floating at the edges of these Evita offshoots. She couldn't catch a break. I mean, she did win an Olivier Award. I'm not saying she was left in the gutter, but I don't like how people routinely used her as a poker chap. Wait, 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 wait. What about the London recording? What about the 2012 recording with Ricky Martin? It's a very busy month for the musical man, so please give me room to breathe. Kidding, I love you all. Give me room to breathe. I'm kidding. Throw your dreams into the air, and I shall make one come true. Ah, yes, you, you wish for a, this, uh, no, fuck it, a new sewing machine? Yes, you shall have that sewing machine. You shall have it. A floating, untethered observation before we really dive into the deconstruction of the score this week. There is a point in the Evita score that reminded me of a chunk from Jesus Christ Superstar, and I couldn't find it, and I'm exhausted. I just, I couldn't be bothered. You do the work. You'll probably know what I'm talking about, but there, there's a chunk in Evita that sounds a lot like, we need him crucified, it's all you have to do. Sort of frog baritone men just saying something like, oh, we do not like Evita, how we have to crucify her, you get it. Uh, <laughs> Weber maniacs know what I'm talking about, you webiacs. What do you call yourselves, the Webbies? I don't know, get out of here. To begin, let's compare the Requiem for Evita openings from the 79 OBC album and the 76 concept album, shall we? I need you to understand how grungy the latter is when held up next to the former. Let's start with Broadway. Patty and Benny, take it away. right? Refined. Now let's hear the concept album. Did we take a hit of tainted acid, tainted acid, before listening to that clip? Not that I'm complaining. Give me the strung out strains of 76 over 79 any day. And while I bear no ill will toward Potemkin's light as a nightingale vocals, how anyone could prefer them over Colm Wilkinson's delicious Velveeta pork chops is beyond me. Potemkin is in... What about Potemkin? I'm referring to him as if he's the ship. <laughs> the Potemkin. Potemkin is in serious, classically trained actor mode. Wilkinson is in dank-ass, no-AC, high-on-his-own-supply bartender karaoke mode. Better mode! Patty, Benny, can we get a slice of Potemkin's Oh, What a Circus? Followed by a hunk of Wilkinson's version? Oh, what a circus, oh, what a show Argentina has gone to town over the death of an actress called Eva Perón We've all gone crazy Morning all day and morning all night Falling over ourselves to get all of the misery right What a circus, what a show Argentina has gone to town the death of an actress called Eva Perón We've all gone crazy Morning all day and morning all night Falling over ourselves to get all Of the misery right 
I mean, come on, Wilkinson is fundamentally more fun, fundamentally more fun. I couldn't care less about Che as a character. He's a limitless geyser of cynicism and righteous anger who has no effect on the events of the show. So if I'm going to listen to him ramble, it should at least be entertaining. Patinkin is professional. Wilkinson is entertaining. We get it. You own the romantic highlights of Jekyll and Hyde and have a boner for Come Wilkinson. And I'm supposed to be ashamed of that? Fuck you! Hey, Bobby, where of the city? It's hungry and cold, can't be controlled, it is mad. Those who are fools are swallowed up whole, and those who are not become what they should not become changed. In short, they go bad. That is good for me, I'm bored so clean and so ignored. I've only been predictable, respectable. Birds fly out of here, so well, well, why the hell can't I? I only want variety. I wanna be a father, be a Buenos Aires, Big Apple. I wanna be a father, be a Buenos Aires, Big Apple. Five years from now, I shall come back and finally say, You have your way, come to town. But you look at me with a foreigner's eyes, the magical city, a younger a fantasy long since put down All you've done to me was that a young girl's fantasy I played your silly games all right, didn't I? I already know what cooks How the dirty city feels and looks I tasted it last night, didn't I? I'm gonna be a relationship between Ava and Magaldi is as good a jumping-off point as any to consider how Evita and its creators feel about their protagonist. Uh, just to let you know, in case you're not familiar with the show, what you just heard was a chunk from a combo track known as Ava and Magaldi slash Ava Beware of the City. As Lupone was eager to point out, the show hates women, and I'm inclined to agree. From her first moments on stage as a teenager, Ava is consistently portrayed as relentlessly self-serving, concerned only with how she can rise above those surrounding her. She's quick to tell Magaldi that she hates the middle class, that her father's second family was middle class and prevented her from attending his funeral. It's the only bit of exposition that makes her a human being, and we glide past it real quick, let me tell you. This kid has an axe to grind, is the point, and she carries it throughout the entirety of her life, lashing out at every sect that would dare to question her pedigree or motives. Ava doesn't need those high society pricks. She's a woman of the people. She came from the street and is proud to represent the street while making sure to dress in only the finest of clothes, of course. Thinking about these contradictions while walking to your car is a reasonably fascinating exercise, but her messy humanity is obscured in favor of a characterization that's simultaneously cold and shrill. We can tell that her gears are always rotating, we see her barreling ever forward, and it's impossible to root for or against her because she's not really a human. She's a machine, totally unknowable, Am I supposed to watch her journey and think, yes, go, Ava, or, oh, no, you've gone too far, Ava, or, Ava is like the tide, she rises and falls and does not need me to bear witness to her in order to exist? I don't know. I would say Rice and Weber aren't interested in what the real Ava Perone was like at heart, that it's more interesting to view her through the prism of a Che, or the military, or the people who adored her, but those characters are just as inhuman and unknowable as Ava. Everyone has been flattened out and turned into monotonous, dead-eyed mouthpieces, these big blobs of people who speak as one. Over here you have the military paper dolls going dangerous, it means nothing. And over here you have the paper doll descamisados going, Ava, Ava, Ava. It's just noise. It's just noise. 
I know the show is meant to be cynical, but as an audience member, I have to hang my hat somewhere, and I guess that hook winds up being the score. It's certainly fun to listen to, and it's likely my favorite of Weber's, but there's no heart, there's no blood here. You're in Town, by comparison, is itself sharply cynical, but its characters are a thousand times more relatable and human than anyone found within Evita. Maybe it's unfair to compare the two. You're in Town is an outright farce, comedy. Evita is nothing like that, but yeah, I'm gonna, gonna stick by my observation. <sighs> wow, I am quite obviously already in a final thoughts headspace. Let me circle back to my original question. Does Evita, the musical, hate women? Yes, because it holds me at arm's length, and despite whatever its intentions may be, its intellectual intentions, it only allows me to see Ava as a preening megalomaniac. I'm not the kind of person who has to adore a show's central figure, and the idea of buffing the real Ava's image seems irresponsible. She did presumably support her husband husband's heinous tactics, after all. Look, I'm exhausted. If you don't like the person you're writing about and can only think to turn her into a sniping caricature, that's your business, but it seems like a waste of time to me. Putting all of that heavy baggage aside, it is kind of funny how Ava strong arms her way into Magaldi's life. It's stupid and unrealistic and backwards, but eh, it's also kind of funny. Kind of funny. I'll downgrade it from funny to amusing, all right? Take me in, it's your blood, give me speed, give me life, send me humming. Shoot me up with your blood, find me up with your knife, watch me coming. All I want is a whole lot of excess. The singer, this is where I'm playing. Stand back, where is. Because you ought to know what you're gonna get in me. Just a little touch of star quality. I was quite harsh during our Gypsy episode when it came to Patti Lapone's rendition of Rose's Turn, and I stand by my ruling, but here's another ruling for you. She is great in the role of Ava. There, I said it. It cannot be taken back. The part is absolutely written to break the voice and spirit of any woman who dares to accept it, but I'm glad Lapone still had the temerity to grapple with and make it her own. She certainly pulls it off with a plum, and she does it by being as focused and aggressive aggressive as her character. I think Lapone knows there's not much going on upstairs with Ava. It's a crummy role in that respect, so the only thing she can embrace is the technical challenge it presents. Give me those notes. You think I can't sing those notes? Fuck you, I'll sing these notes until I'm blue in the face. I'd rather hear that Lapone, the one rising to a dare, than the one fucking around in the 2008 revival of Gypsy. We may appreciate this great dame of the musical theater in different ways, but look, we're all fans at the end of the day, and this is all that matters. Yeah, but you were pretty mean during the Gypsy episode. I know, I said as much already. Lay off! It seems crazy, but you must believe There's nothing calculated, nothing planned Please forgive me if I seem naive I would never want to force your hand But please understand I'd be good for you I don't always rush in like this Twenty seconds after saying hello Telling strangers I'm too good to miss If I'm wrong I hope you'll tell me so But you really should know I'd be surprisingly good for you and Another Suitcase in Another Hall are my favorite songs from the show. I'll really dig into the latter in just a moment, but all you need to know is that I find it to be a nice respite from Evita's usual wide-eyed hysteria. I'd be surprisingly good for you provides a similar sort of break, allowing Ava to change tactics and flex her sensuality. All of her tactics branch out from a central font of aggression. She's always in a state of constant performance, but I prefer I prefer femme fatale Ava over shit kicker Ava, personally. Am I coming off as problematic? I prefer my powerful women to be sexual. Meow. Wow, wow, wow. Yikes. Lapone was right. This show is making me look at women in a fucked up way. This is fucked up stuff. And in case you were wondering, is John going to compare the OBC album to the concept album again? You bet your sweet baby I am. I'm telling you, you gotta check out Julie Covington's take on this number. Not only because her vocals are slamming, but because she is backed by a much 
thicker, fuzzier airport jazz lounge horn. Now, I'm no musician, but methinks I smell a cologne-soaked sax getting up in my business. Can we get that now? I'm not talking of a hurried night, a frantic tumble and a shy goodbye. Creeping home before it gets too light, that's not the reason that I caught your eye, which has to imply I'd be good for you. in another hall appeals to me because it's the one instance where a character isn't performing for anyone around them. The young woman who delivers this solo is known only as Perone's mistress, the mistress. She has no actual identity, and as her number comes to a close, it's as if she's vanishing into vapor right before our eyes. She is relegated to the same faceless status the Perone's applied to everyone who cannot serve them in some way. I love this character because of that. Che made gesture toward what Perón's policies and Ava's apathy have done to Argentina, but that gesture is toward unseen, offstage pain and grief. It's just talk. The mistress is actually going through shit right here, right now, and I find it to be lovely and quite compelling. The mistress is the MVP of Evita, and you cannot convince me otherwise, best part. You claim this is the only instance where a character doesn't perform for someone else, but what about Ava's lament at the end of the show, you might be asking? She's dying! She's delivering a final broadcast to her people and speaking from the heart! You say the show has no heart? She's speaking from the heart! Oh, please, Ava's shoring up her legacy at the end of this show. God winds up being her final audience, and she'll be damned if she doesn't win his good graces. Ava, boo! She's a sycophant! No thank you to Eva. Ava, Eva, Eva. Don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is I never left you. All through my wild days, my mad existence. I kept my promise Don't keep your distance I mean, what is there to say about a song like Don't Cry For Me, Argentina? Anyone who has even a tenuous connection with musical theater knows this song and can hum a few bars on command. What I was not aware of was the Miami mix that was included on the film soundtrack and did fairly well on the charts when released as a single. Should we get a bit of that? Let's get a bit of that. Camisados, reach for the pacifiers I throw to you from my balcony here at the Casa Rosada. Pop the nipples into your mouths and roll in the deep. Ah! 
For the purposes of discussing High Flying Adored, we are going to have a nice little fun segment here. Might be a one-off called Jonathan's Impression Corner, featuring Colm Wilkinson and Mandy Padinkin. Okay, first we're going to hear Colm Wilkinson's version of High Flying Adored. Let's take that. High Flying Adored, so young, the instant queen, a rich, beautiful thing. Of all the talents across between a fantasy of the bedroom and a saint. Ooh, we took it, baby. We took it, and now we have it. We have it in our heads. Ah, flying adored. That's my Cole Wilkinson. Let me give it to you again, okay? Uh, John Pernasek, uh, represented by no one, auditioning for the role of Colm Wilkinson in the 1976 concept album for Avita. Har flying adored. Huh? And now let's get Patinkin's version of High Flying Adored. High Flying Adored, so young, instant queen, a rich, beautiful thing of all the talents cross between the fantasy of the bedroom and the We got it. We took it. We got it. We have it. And uh, John Pernasek, uh, represented by no one, auditioning for the role of Mandy Butinkin in the 1979 OBC album of Avita. High flying adored. Can I give it to you again? Can I get a uh, second time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Pernasek auditioning for Mandy Butinkin. Thank you very much for this second attempt. High flying adored. It's getting worse. Patinkin's penchant for pounding particular words or syllables into oblivion cracks me up throughout the OBC album. I, I, I just figured we would take a moment to say this now. At one point, really early on in the show, he sings, She did nothing for years. And <laughs> I, I, I really like, I don't know why he's making these choices, but he does say male or female. <sighs> he really hits that Fee and female, male or female. Calm down, Mandy. Spain has fallen for the charms of Evita. She can do what she likes, it doesn't matter much. She's the new world Madonna with the golden touch. I would argue having old Mandy trot out stereotypical Spaniard, Italian, and French accents isn't the best look for the Rainbow Tour number. It's not as if he's mirroring a choice made by Wilkinson on the concept album, so did he simply think it would be funny to do these voices? Uh, fun, funny, fun, fun, funny, it's neither, is the point. There's cynical, and then there's tasteless. Of course, one could argue some of the voices you hear during our 5, 6, 7, 8 spots are tasteless, but who would actually do such a thing? Why insult our spokespeople like that? Tell me before you get onto your bus, before joining the forgotten But to give her my desk, I miss her knows a magical moment or two. There is evil, ever around fundamental, system of government, quite incidental. So what are my chances of honest advances? I'd say love, better to win by admitting my sin than to lose with a halo. Here's a fun rabbit hole that has surely been explored by other musical theater enthusiasts. Ava and Jesus of Jesus Christ Superstar are so similar in how they're written, aren't they? They're both spiritual leaders, they're both obsessed with death and loyalty and legacy. And I'll tell you what, they care very little for the bigger problems that plague the people they claim to adore. Fans of JCS will recall how in that show, Jesus is like, there will always be poor people! I can't can't do anything about that. Love me while I'm here. I'm Jesus. 
And that's basically what Ava expresses during this duet with Che, which is officially known as, you just heard a bit of it, Waltz for Ava and Che. There will always be poor people who suffer. There will always be war and famine. What do you want me to do about it? I can't do anything about that. All I can do is be my glittering, beatific self. Love me while I'm here. I'm Ava. One last comparison, and this is actually a diversion between the two characters, a difference, if you will. The real Ava was known to embrace and kiss the sick, whereas Jesus in JCS is like, fuck, heal yourselves, you leprous weirdos. Jesus and Ava, similar yet different, different yet similar, similar, different, different, similar. <laughs> Money was raised to build a tomb, a monument to Evita. Only the pedestal was completed, and Evita's body disappeared for 17 years. up for the final 30 seconds or so of Lament, during which Patinkin drops the ultimate truth bomb on us. Ava's body went missing for 17 years, and the killer was in the backseat the entire time! <laughs> I should say I didn't perk up because of this explosive truth bomb. No, I simply enjoyed the strange John Carpenter slash disaster piece shift that is made in Weber's score. It's minimal and creepy and threw me off in the best way. I'll ask the question again, what are we supposed to think about the disappearance of Ava's body if we are not already up on our history? By saying the body disappeared for 17 years, it follows that Ava was eventually recovered, so there's no actual Twilight Zone twist here. It's a total red herring fakeout. It's just hilarious to me how this grand operatic piece of adult entertainment ends like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, submitted for your approval. I present Avita! Finally, to close out our deconstruction of the Avita score, I would like to offer this list of musical theater references I believe I picked up while listening to the score of Avita. This is very strange. I, I've listened to this show before. This is not my first time at Avita's rodeo, but I don't recall these obvious references to other musicals. At one point, Ava refers to the mistress character as Funny Face. And then at one point from the song Rainbow High, Ava sings, So Lauren Bacalmi, Anything Goes. She says, Anything Goes. And Che, during his waltz with Ava, says the phrase, To have no impossible dream. He references impossible dream. Very odd. All right, that's the deconstruction of the Avita score. And now it's time to get a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Father built a house at the top of Turkey Hill in the neighborhood of Rochelle in New York, New York, and everyone was quite happy with the construction. After the house was complete, Father founded a fireworks factory where he made lots of things blow up, and I was often taken to the fireworks factory so that I could see the fireworks blow up, and I would tug at my father's shirt tail and say, Oh, Father, how I love to watch the fireworks blow up. May I film them with my little tiny camera? And my father would say, shut up! And so I would, and I would wander the grounds of the fireworks factory, wondering how I could be of service. And one day I decided to buy my father a bag of 5678 coffee, and when I brewed him his first cup, he slapped it out of my hand and said to not bother him, because he was making fireworks, and it was a very important business, and I am just a small boy who is dumb. That's how he described me, my own father. And so I made a second cup, which I poisoned. My father drank from it wholeheartedly and said that the 5678 coffee was quite delicious. And then he died 15 minutes later. I inherited the fireworks factory, which surprised me because I did not think my father respected me, as he used to call me dumb quite frequently, as I just related to you moments ago. And so in 1908, 15, 38, I inherited the fireworks factory and I made everything blow up. I blew up the entire fireworks factory, and I watched it from Ellis Island. And as I watched my father's fireworks factory smolder into the dirt, I drank a 5678 coffee cup. 
drink that was the most delicious thing I'd ever tasted. Revenge is sweet, but 5678 coffee is even sweeter. Thank you very much, 5678. You can count on it. Final thoughts regarding Avita. I mean, you already know where I'm headed with these here final thoughts, don't you? Come on, you heard me ranting and raving before we all know where I'm going. Oh, all right. I'll extrapolate further because I love you, baby. I love you. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Here's the thing. Rice and Weber straight up fucking tricked us, and they should thank their lucky stars for having pulled that con off. There's nothing thematically satisfying to be gained from digging through Evita, because it's a show that's designed to be listened to, not heard. It's a dazzling smokescreen with pretensions of substance, and in 1980, Tony voters bought that con without hesitation. And I can see why. Frustrating as it may be to admit, Avita does work as purely diverting, ear-pleasing entertainment. Shows like Avita and Ragtime and Miss Saigon are like advanced placement students who assume they can sum up enormous, multi-layered subjects by coasting on wit and charm. Sometimes I let these students pass, and sometimes I fail them. Ragtime got a failing grade. Miss Saigon, well, I expelled that brat right out of the building. But Evita passes. It passed. Is it fair? Is that fair? Am I a hypocrite? Yes, maybe. I don't know. But as my advanced placement students would say, the world is unfair, man. It's filled with hypocrites. All right, well, what's your next point? I don't have one, man. I'm just holding up a mirror to society, to the world, man. Yeah, well, I'll let you skirt by this time, kids, but listen up. Next time, I may not be so forgiving. You understand me, Mr. Weber? Mr. Rice? Yes, Mr. Pernasek. All right, now you boys have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, Mr. Pernasek. Oh, those kids. They're smart, but they're also stupid. You know, rascals. Now, as a reminder, in 1980, Avita took the Tony Award for Best Musical Home, took it home, gave it a big wet kiss, Mwah! And the additional nominees that year were A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine, Barnum, and Sugar Babies. If Avita is cotton candy dressed up as a rich and hearty stew, these additional nominees are rain-soaked salt licks dressed up as cotton candy. <laughs> Am I hungry? We should do lunch after this. Patty, Benny, you with me? Yes! Nods all around. Mm -mm. Mm. Pass the ketchup, Isabel. Pass it over the corpse of my dead wife. Yes. Ooh, no, I don't get off on this at all, Isabel. Having my dead wife's corpse in our dining room. Why would you say that? Why would you think that I get off on it? Pass the ketchup, Isabel. That's it! When it comes to ranking the show, I do have one announcement. There has been a change, a slight change, in our ranking. Once, which previously sat at number 19 on our official ranking list, has now been moved to number 21. Just want to let you know that. And Avita has been given the number 23 slot between The Lion King at number 22 and Grind at number 24. There you go. As always, if you want to see this full list, this ranking, go to Twitter Musical Man Pod, click the pinned tweet, go to the Google Sheet, go to the second tab of the Google Sheet, you'll see the ranking, baby. You'll see it. Now let's talk about show-related ephemera. We got some good stuff this week. We got some good stuff. Let's talk about this 1980 TV ad, which we're going to play now. Much to ask for. The truth is, I never left you. All through my wild days, my mad existence. That's right, Evita. Stamp your feet and clap your hands. You've got a lot to celebrate. Seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical for Evita, Argentina's instant queen and overnight saint. And only a few seem to notice she simply seduced a country. That's right, Evita. Stamp your feet and clap your hands. You've got a lot to celebrate. I have been tickled by that line for years and years and years, and I'm so glad that I now get to share it with you who may not be familiar with it. That's right, Evita. Stamp your feet and clap your hands. You've got a lot to celebrate. I also really like Mandy Patinkin's punched-up delivery of the phrase, not much to ask for. He says, not much to ask for. 
And I also like how Lupone at the end of this ad turns just a little touch of star quality. That gets turned into just a little touch of star quality. Because we have to end the ad on a pop. You can't end an ad with just a little touch of star quality. Not, not really a great way to end ad. Star quality! That's how you end an ad, baby. I also want to play a little bit of this old interview with Lapone and Patinkin. Can we get a little bit of that interview here? The role is, is incredibly demanding. Have you ever not made it through a performance? In Los Angeles, we had been recording the album. And uh, it was the closing night. And there were a lot of people, a lot of my friends were there, and a lot of... People were coming back to see the show, a great many Evita fans, and a wonderful thing was going to happen at the curtain call. And I woke up that day, and I knew my voice was peculiar, but I didn't want to think about it. And I went on, and, and I went to Mandy, because Mandy and I are very close, and I went to Mandy, and I said, I, I don't, uh. And he said, well, you shouldn't go on. I said, but I have to go on. At the end of the first act in a new Argentina, I couldn't hit any notes whatsoever, so I started to talk the end of the show and I couldn't even talk it and so Mandy just took me by the shoulders and he brought me to the stage manager and I could not finish the show so Terry Klausner the girl that plays the matinees went on and finished and while I was sobbing in my dressing room packing up my makeup having failed I thought now this is theater the audience gets to see the two Evitas I mean it's something they certainly didn't expect <laughs> but it was a terrible feeling what has been the audience's reaction to the show? The audience, um, at least they go out thinking. Uh, and a lot of people start to talk about the politics of Argentina. A lot of people go out not knowing whether they like her. I don't know if anyone you like is her? liking her. Well, uh, yes, I play her every night. I'm certainly not going to go out there going, yeah. Thank you very much. I also want to share these YouTube comments from this very self-same video. So this video is available on YouTube. Here are the YouTube comments just below that video. Patty looks like Anne Hathaway in this interview. She's 30 in this interview, and she looks like she's 22. What? Hashtag magician. Patty looks like she's about 15 years old in this interview. I love it! Can we talk about how sexy Mandy looks in this? They were the best for the Evita role, regardless of what people say. She looked like hashtag Anne Hathaway. Mandy was a sexy thing. I always wondered why these two didn't get it together. Maybe they were too similar in temperament. Wow, she was stunning gorgeous. She is magnificent. From Avita to Life Goes On to Penny Dreadfuls, he has the most ducent tones of any one ever. I regret he never sang on Criminal Minds. God, he was so hot. Patty seems high. Hathaway is a scafusa who couldn't carry Patty's handbag. Glenn Close, the greatest star of all, period. Man, she's had an ego right from the start. Look at the part in her hair. She's losing her hair. Those are some of the YouTube comments. Thank you very much for joining us for this installment of show-related ephemera. Hi-yi-yi. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator, I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Fuck the Duck. Everyone ready? Then away we go! All right, I've stepped off of the musical carousel. The year is 2014. The show that we are discussing ran for 273 performances on Broadway, and that show, our subject for next week, is none other than After Midnight. Yes, that's right. We'll be talking about After Midnight next week, so get ready, you weirdos, you musical maniacs, because we're going to be talking all about it. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. You can give one three five or ten dollars a month if you give one dollar a month you will receive a verbal shout out from me every single week let's do that now thank you very much roberto jordan ashley chris jc jenna aaron lily haley brandon brad matt zach and marisol you also get 
bonus episodes. You get a bonus episode about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards. You get a bonus episode about the trailer for the film Cats. And you also get a brand new bonus episode about The Little Mermaid Live. It's true. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. And starting today, you now have access to episode one of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. Yes, we did rebrand that show. It is now known as Wildcats Everywhere. And again, the first episode is out today. So if you donate $3 or more a month, you will get access to that ongoing series, which is an exploration of the mega franchise from good old Disney. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you are able to stop the musical carousel and determine what musical I shall discuss here on the podcast. Tell me what to do, baby. You also get access to season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, and access to our ongoing Broadway in Chicago series, for which I watch all of the shows that come through Chicago and are advertised under the Broadway in Chicago banner. That's right. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus The Snub Club, a monthly series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never, never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Dropping this month on Wednesday, November 27th, is our 10th episode, I believe. Yes, 10th episode. I'm getting a nod from the booth. 10th episode, which is all about a doll's life, and our past subjects have been Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahooly, American Psycho, Be More Chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, and The Bridges of Madison County. Your donations go toward the purchase of cast recordings, movie rentals, and offsetting the cost of being hosted through Podbean if we ever get to a point where we are bringing in $100 or more in total donations. I will produce M3, The Movie Musical Man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show. If you are listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We have 24 five-star reviews, and when we get to 30, I will record a special one-off episode dedicated to another Disney mega-franchise known as the Descendants Franchise Trilogy. If you stream the show, you might be streaming it through musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. <laughs> you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Thank you.